Hey, peace, Nicks. Peaceaholics. Had a cool conversation with cannabis entrepreneur Kevin Haberman, who joined us from Denver, Colorado. I wasn't on top of my game this week, but I think it turned out really good considering. I turned 39 on Sunday, February 6th, and did some unnecessary celebrating that led to a proper 39-year-old hangover on the 7th, the day I recorded this podcast. As I told Kevin, I drank a bottle of tequila, not completely by myself, but also with a bunch of hard ciders, and then I did what you're not supposed to do when drunk. I ate and ate the mushrooms. And I say you're not supposed to because of the whole powerful plant medicine that should be treated with respect and not used as a party tool. But sometimes I say, to hell with that noise, and I go all gonzo. Of course, the problem with going gonzo is that I can't hang like the doctor. Trying to be Hunter S. Thompson only worked for one man, and that man was Hunter Thompson himself. Anyway, I drank a bunch of tequila and ciders and a few beers, and then I ate mushrooms, and at one point I ended up on my roof, mesmerized by a big Cheshire smiling moon, and then I decided I would skateboard down the road on my longboard. I was deep in my trip and hadn't drank in two hours because when the mushrooms kick in, I always instinctively switch to water. I was flying down the road when my shoelace got caught in the wheel and I went flying from my board and instinctively I rolled the way I learned when I used, used to skateboard as a kid. I barely got hurt. I jumped up triumphantly. I felt alive. It was great. I retied my shoelace and continued my journey. I made it to a bar up the road and an old man who knows me was standing outside smoking a joint. He offered it to me and I stood there smoking with him until I was super stoned. I walked into the bar all brightly lit, immediately greeted by people I knew from a bar I played music at and realized I was too high to be there. So I had a beer, shot, left as fast as I could. I skated home and as my trip wore off, I started drinking more alcohol and stayed up until about six in the morning. So I was in rough shape doing this podcast, but like I said, I think it went really well. It helped that Kevin was so easy to talk to. So I have a lot to tell you about since I recorded this. Uh, we went to the Tool concert, we went to Vegas, and everything my wife and I did this week, uh, we had a lot of experiences, some deep introspections. I went to the Grand Canyon for my first time on a helicopter ride. I'm going to save all this for a Sunday Psychedelic Spirit that I'll release some of the um, things that I thought of on this amazing journey me and my wife had. So um, for now, let's get down to business with Kevin Haberman. Let's spark this joint. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs abuse. are menacing our society. What are your thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. On drugs. How you doing? Pretty good, yeah. Nice to meet you uh, in person. Or yeah, nice, to, nice to meet you too. Yeah, this is um, uh, Josh uh, Pineal Podcast um, yeah. told me about you, and I, I listened to your episode. That was really oh, cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, I heard your episode as well, and uh, you told me about you too. And I've been uh, listening to a bit of your show the last uh, couple of weeks. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for listening, and thanks for yeah. being on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I was looking at your uh, your Twitter, and so it looks like because <laughs> we're talking about the cannabis industry, but um, and on Twitter, there's a lot of crypto stuff going on. Yeah, so uh, me and one of my old roommates, we started a crypto podcast like six months ago, and um, we called Crypto Blabber because it's mostly just blabbering, but um, that's like the general theme. Um, he just got into it. We've been doing the podcast for six months. He hasn't bought any crypto yet, so um, it's not really too serious. It's more of like a dicking around kind of thing, but... Uh, oh, really? Oh, so, okay, so it's not actually... I always thought you were in the crypto business because I, I, I did an interview with um, this, I think they called the Psilocybin Academy, and... I, I didn't know enough about crypto, but their whole, basically the whole thing is silo coin. And okay. this, so it's a crypto coin. And I, I should ask more about the, like, what, what does, what does the psychedelics have to do with crypto? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I noticed a lot of new niches are like creating their own like crypto or like different communities. Like a lot of sports teams are having their own like crypto or whatever to, I don't know. It seems like kind of like Dave and Buster bucks, essentially. <laughs> it, it does. It's and. And I, I understand the idea of if you're if you're getting into a new market with psychedelics or cannabis that's not federally legal, that maybe a cryptocurrency is a good uh, route to take with, uh, you know, you can buy and sell. But um, other than that, I don't see how psychedelics have any part with the currency. It doesn't. Yeah. Make- 
Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> just maybe something for the community to get around, I guess. Yeah. Now I um I almost invested in crypto. And right when I was, I got approved with one of those apps to, build, to to start investing. I watched a Bill Maher episode. Oh yeah, he hates it. <laughs> he hates. And, and and again, my my buddy who's like making money in crypto or was at the time, he said he said, "Don't believe the establishment." Of course, the establishment doesn't want you to do crypto because they want to control blah blah blah. But his whole thing was how it's going to destroy the the environment. And and it just I had too many questions. I was like, I can't invest because. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, um, I find it kind of irritating when he talks about it because he only gives like a very narrow minded sort of perspective about it. Um, so like Bitcoin is usually given the hardest time because it's proof of work, which means that computers are generally on all the time uh, mining Bitcoin versus proof of stake, which is like Cardano and what Ethereum is kind of moving to, which are two other separate cryptocurrencies. Uh, so once they move to proof of stake, the computers only turn on to validate transactions, which uses a significant amount of less energy. Um, but currently, um, it's using proof of work, which constantly uses the computers. And when China was involved with Bitcoin, they were using like a lot of like coal mining and things like that to generate power for the Bitcoin network. But now, since China has stopped um, being involved with Bitcoin, um, the other places around the world are using more renewable energy because it's uh, in their best interest to have the lowest energy costs, which is through renewables. So it's kind of moving um, the direction of like evolving renewable technology to keep up with the Bitcoin demand. So it's kind of helping in that aspect, but they do use a lot of power. But when you compare it to other industries, like the actual banking industry, they use more power. So it's kind of like a, um, a stupid argument. And then I had Josh on to talk about it because of um, the biggest thing you can do as a person is to not eat meat if you really care about energy that much. That and I've heard that so many times, and it makes more sense than anything else I've heard. The idea that Bitcoin, because in Bill Maher's episode, he said that uh, cryptocurrency by itself could destroy the planet, could it, it could uh, accelerate climate change, and I was like, that just seems ridiculous. I I, <laughs> I had the questions, but I was like, I gotta research it more. But this doesn't make sense, like you said, because when when I'm doing online banking, is that not the same thing? It's, it's keeping it. It's, it's got to be something similar. They have their own databases and they also have brick and mortar stores and um, yeah, everything they do is uh, not the most efficient way of doing business. And to give Bitcoin a hard time is, uh, I don't know, kind of hypocritical, I feel like. Gotcha. And that makes sense to me. And I and I also I do think that there's some pushback just from the establishment who's like, the, you know, the idea that currency doesn't have to be controlled by the government is scary yeah. for the establishment. It's the uh, was it the uh, separation of state and currency is what the idea is with cryptocurrency. Which is actually a beautiful thing, um, especially as because, you know, my whole thing is about the drug war and the yeah. problem I have with everything going digital. And because and, and, as we lose our, you know, the currency that we have in our wallets and it goes all to your card, then how do you have a drug market? How do you how do you buy things that the government doesn't want you to own? And and, and obviously people would say, well, you shouldn't be able to do that. Well, as, as long as there's a drug war, I'm going to disagree with that. If in the drug war, then we can talk about, all right, because, you know, obviously uh, the trading of human beings, which is still a thing, like that, that's a problem. But honestly, uh, we, I was talking about with someone, human trafficking really is funded by drug cartels. And if you if you legalize the drug trade, those little side businesses, side hustles, those it's a lot easier to stop human trafficking once that money from drug goes away. So. Yeah. I think that was your recent episode with the uh, guy who wrote the book about the mafia. And, uh... Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> who I talked about it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, all right, so I, I want to talk to you about one thing that I found really fascinating um, when I was listening to you and Josh was uh, the Hangout Festival, because oh, yeah. I got I got arrested on the way to Bonnaroo, but they, they weren't like they let you go. I was like and then Josh was like, well, is that, be, you know, is, you know, because you're white, you got let go. And I was like, there's, there's definitely some element to that. I mean, 100 um, percent. White people will send, get off more than other people, but it's not just that because I, as a white person, have been arrested multiple times. And again, I think though my criminal record only being misdemeanor, um, the, the the jobs that I was able to get with my misdemeanor record, some jobs I weren't. But I think it would have been a lot worse had I been, uh, you know, if I wasn't a white man. But it, it still got arrested. Um, so t tell your story though for, for my yeah. listeners. So it was the last day of hangout. Um, we were going to the festival and I had like this sunglass case that I had full of like, a, basically like a cigar sized blunt, like a really thick, blunt. it was like maybe like an eighth in this blunt. And then I had like a few other joints and then just some loose buds like in the sunglass case. And as we're kind of walking up to the entrance, I put it in my pants and I think someone clearly saw me do it. And they told the uh, security guys to keep an eye out for me. 
So when I went through, they were just relentlessly patting me down. Like they patted me down like pretty hard and they weren't finding anything, but I was like, can I go there? No, no, you can't go yet. And then they just like kept patting me down until they like found the sunglass case. And then they opened it and they were like, um, you know, you can't have that kind of thing down here. I don't know where you're from, but like, that's not legal down here because we're in Alabama. <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's all for me. They're like, is this for you or is this for everyone else? Or like, no, this is just for me. And then he's like, don't run. And then like the guy next to me is just like cussing out the cops and everything too. And then they just like cut off both our wristbands and said, just like, get the fuck out of here. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if they were, it seems like it depends on which cop you have and like, um, cause I feel like they should have done something to the other guy who was like really mouthing off to them. Um, but yeah. like, for me, they just kind of like told me to fuck off. Um, but, <laughs> no, um, no, was this, this were actual cops though. It wasn't just, this, yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I'm guessing they didn't want to report it. I'm guessing they wanted to keep it. Um, it's hard to say that based on every situation. Um, it could be my skin color too, but I feel like the, everyone there at that festival was pretty much the same skin color. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's hard to hard to say. But you, you and this was this was in the festival though. Like like I, I'm not sure how uh, the hangout festival is, but is it kind of like with Sabanaru? You're there. You're you're camping out, but you have to go in and out through the checkpoints to get to yeah, the shows. Yeah, so I got caught at the checkpoint. Yeah. So, um, yeah, since when I got arrested, I got arrested driving there. I was in Georgia, you know, the uh, Bonner is in Tennessee and we were just driving. We had a rented RV with our friends and I didn't know that they looked and you're for that. In Florida, right? With, I'm Florida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're driving up from, uh, Florida through Georgia to Tennessee. And it's a thing that, that the, uh, these small town cops do when they're like, all right, there's a big festival this weekend. There are going to be a bunch of RVs rented and there's going to be a bunch of kids with drugs in RVs going to this festival. So you just pull over every RV you see that a young person's driving and we search them. And that's what yeah. they did. And they literally we had because we were in the back drinking uh, Jaeger and, you know, whatever. We were just getting drunk and playing cards and stuff. But we had a sober driver, two sober drivers that were switching and they weren't swerving or anything. All of a sudden we're getting pulled over and I was like, that's eh, all good. They're just going to make sure the drivers, whatever made us all get out. And they were like, can we search your vehicle? And I said, no. And um, they were like, all right, that's your right. We won't search it, uh, but we're going to bring a drug dog. I was yeah. like, oh, of course you were. That's how is that not searching? Okay. Drug dog walks around, doesn't bark, doesn't do anything. I don't know, but they're like, he smelled something. I'm like, sure he did. So they go in, they come out. I literally had like less than an eighth of weed is all I brought. And thank God we were going to bring Molly and we it, that deal fell through. And I was like, we'll just get drugs when we get there. Thank God. Cause that would have been a whole different situation had I had something like that. Yeah. But I had a little bit of pot and my buddy's like, don't worry. They're, they're not going to do anything. It's a little bit of pot. And I knew what was going on at that point. I was like, no, I'm going to jail. Just so you like, you watch this. And I was like, this is a scam. This is legal highway robbery. They're here to make money. Sure enough. Like we found the weed. I'm like, Oh, good job. You did good. You know, get me off the streets. He didn't want me smoking that. Who knows what would have happened? You know, I would have ate Doritos or who fucking knows. So they take me to jail. We get out that night. It's a money grab. When we go back to court a few months later, it was like, I think it was like a $1,500 fine. And it wasn't even on your record after that. So it was like, okay. we're not even going to put it on your record because we, we want to make it as easy as possible for you not to fight this. Just give us the $1,500 and go about your business and give, I think it was another $1,000 to a parole officer that I had to report to. And then I thought I was done. They're like 12 hour course. So you go to 12 hours, this class, drug counseling class, and you're done. Yeah. But then I found out there was an agreement with Florida and Georgia that anybody caught with drugs in either state will lose their driver's license for two years oh, wow. unless they go to DUI classes. So I wasn't driving. I had a little bit of pot and I had to go to DUI classes for three months every week and get randomly drug tested. And I watched kids in that class fail drug tests and go back into the system. And it's just like, this is horrible. Like, like, what are we doing? But, um, but yes. And that's, so this is a regular thing that happens. The kids go into festivals and, um, anyway, so I get, I go to the festival. My story at the gate was we get to the festival. I, we, we get bailed out. We go to the festival and, um, we found mushrooms and, um, I ate half of an eighth of mushrooms and I put the other half of an eighth in my, in a little fanny pack. And I was like, I'm going to stay, I'm going to eat this halfway through when we get to the show. So as I'm going through the security checkpoint, you got this, this kid's like, open up, uh, open up the fanny pack. I'm like, okay. And I opened it up and he flashes his light in my fanny pack. He goes, are those mushrooms? And I'm already tripping now. And I'm like, I'm not going back to jail. I'm not going back to jail. So I just reached in and I grabbed him and I threw him in my mouth and just, and ran. 
And my buddy that was behind me was just laughing. He's like, the guy just shook his head and was like, next. But I'm, in my mind, I'm like, they're after me. I'm running. I'm like eating them as fast as I can and just running. And like, yeah, that's traumatizing. And I'm sure with it before. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. Finally. So finally I went back, I realized I, I left my phone at the checkpoint and I was like, oh man, I need my phone. I need to find my friends. And I went back and I was like, there's my phone. It's sitting right there. I was like, that my phone? He's like, here. And I was like, I was like, thank you so much. I'm sorry about the drugs. And as soon as I said that, there was like flashlights in my face. But what drugs? I was like, no drugs. I don't know, man. They're like, you can't go in. I was like, I can't go in. I was like, that's why all my friends are in there. And they're like, just go to a different line, dude. I was like, okay. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, it was a great time at the festival. But yeah, usually most festival crews are pretty cool. But yeah, those uh, Southern cops, they're they're not that cool. <laughs> they're not. And you know, that's one thing you talked about in other podcasts is that, you know, there's the... Um, I think the question he asked you something was uh, the pushback against legalization or, or the, the, I don't know. Anyway, we were talking about the, uh, it's the religious aspect in the Southern states aspect. And yeah, I think yeah. the Southern and religion thing kind of go hand in hand, right? It's the Bible belt. And, and what is it? I don't, under, I mean, I do understand the history of the, the religion uh, or of Christianity and Puritanism that Puritan, nah, I'm not talking right. By the way, I should say my birthday was yesterday. Oh yeah, happy birthday! <laughs> Thanks. And uh, we uh, we got a bottle of tequila and ended up with um, eating a bunch of mushrooms and staying up oh, really yeah. late. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I know how the neurons kind of are firing, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I used to say like there are three groups that are against marijuana. Uh, de- uh, was it uh, delegalization or legalization? It's um, the elderly, the southern, and the religious. And um, yeah, that's kind of dwindling. It seems like it seems like the southern states are more for it now. Um, it's becoming more of like a libertarian type issue. So the right is kind of co-opting it, which is nice um, and has become like super political, which has been kind of beneficial. But um, yeah, I think it's just this uh, tradition that people think that they have where uh, um, like the history isn't really that old, but they feel like it, it, it's been like that way forever. So it's just kind of hard to, um, to pick away at, you know, what truths that people have, which is yeah hard to, yeah. And like, I know you mentioned other podcasts or in other episodes, um, just like the whole government propaganda sort of system of uh, public schools with what they teach you in like dare class and things like that. Um, like my first experience with drugs was through being told about it in dare and it just kind of gave me more questions about it than um, really deterring me from wanting to try it. <laughs> right. I mean, when I, when I, the dare officer came in, this was something I knew, I knew nothing about and had no questions yeah. about. And all of a sudden you're like, what is all this? Like, well, there's one guy took this drug and then the cop shot him eight times and they couldn't go down like a superhero creating thing like what are we talking about yeah so just didn't add up and um yeah and then you kind of realize that all the studies that they tell you are all demographic studies and they're not pure scientific studies like you can't even scientifically do any studies on cannabis currently um i know they're kind of loosening that up a little bit but it's just super hard to prove any medical benefit when you can't test it and then they can say that there is no proven medical benefit because they're not allowing testing so it's kind of like this weird chicken the egg thing that they're purposely doing to uh yeah keep it down wow yeah that's that's actually it's so tragic the way the world war on drugs has stopped the research i mean this with psychedelics we lost 30 years of, of potentially yeah. conscious um but like understanding our own consciousness through psychedelics and nope no research was allowed and then you look at um like addiction research uh they basically were like if you can prove that drugs are horrible then you can get funded but if you prove that it's not the drugs, then you lose your funding. So we have, you know, unilaterally decided what we want the research to prove, and that's what we're funding, and that's not what research should be about. But yeah, as far as the old, like you said, it was the old people. I think um, what we're seeing, which is one thing I really like, that cannabis will be a gateway drug. It'll be a gateway into changing people's mind about the war on drugs because old people actually benefit more than most from cannabis and I, i'm in florida i went and got you know to get my medical card and like i was the youngest person there by far i mean there was all elderly that were there because they had real health issues that they heard from their friends could help and all of them were getting their cards and now they're all getting high and they're like oh this is the stuff i've been mad about my whole life because i remember when it was on the ballot I, there was i mean there was some old woman they had uh, interviewed and she was just like i don't want this stuff to be any easier for my grandkids to get on the streets. And I was like, you're so ignorant on this. Like your your grandkids can get it. The problem is they might get arrested when they get it. That's the problem. And then, and now a woman like that's probably getting high and going, this is great. My grandkids should try it. Hey, you should try cannabis. (laughs) 
And one thing I have a difficulty explaining to my grandma is that there's not a difference between like the actual medical marijuana from the recreational marijuana. It's the same stuff, but she still has it in her mind that like there are different products or like they formulate the medical marijuana differently than the recreational marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just a lot of weird learning curves with with sort of the elderly population. <laughs> I, yeah, definitely can see that. And and you're right. It's, uh, we view uh, medicinal differently. And the problem I have with medicinal, is, well, I mean, because cl- clearly it should be recreational, it's ridiculous. But all medicinal is, is a recreational for those who can afford it. Because you go to the doctor, it does not matter if you need it for anything. You go there and you go, I have anxiety. And they go, sure, whatever. So, and they literally walk me through which boxes to check. And we're like shaking our head up or down with yes to that one, no to that one. And you're like, all right. And they're like, all right, next, next. And you just move through. And what it becomes is if you have money, you will not get arrested for cannabis. If you don't have money, you still will get arrested for cannabis. And I, I saw this, I met this kid who lived in the, on one of the projects here. And he was at, there was a bar I played right near the projects. Some of those kids would come and hang out and it was a black kid. And he was probably like 23 years old, you know, and he just got a felony charge for a vape pen because apparently the vapes are now felonies, whereas but flower was only uh, misdemeanors or something. But he was like, I'm facing a felony in possible prison time. And I was like, fuck. And if you had $200 to go to a doctor, you wouldn't face anything. That's absolutely it's, it's criminal. Yeah, there's a lot of weird gatekeeping things with the whole legal industry from the patient standpoint, like you're mentioning, um, to like the operator standpoint. Like um, when I was getting like, I, I have a was it a wholesale manufacturing where we make like cash oils and vape pens and all that stuff. But in order for me to get my license, I had to get like um, certified by the state, which basically means that I have a clean history and um, like all that fun stuff. But like, if you had any sort of drug charge, you would kind of be disqualified uh, because they want to keep like bad people out, which is essentially, you know, minorities with drug charges. Um, So it's just kind of weird how like they have these good intentions, but it is kind of screening people out and having this sort of racist, I guess, sort of effect too. That's that's actually really awful if you think about it, because the people that were actually hurt by the criminalization of cannabis who have records are now barred from profiting off of an industry. Initially, yeah. That's crazy. Now, and, and last I looked, um, I don't know if it's changed because this was in, I looked it up recently, but the last thing I saw was from, I think, 2020, but it said that, that people that have cannabis, uh, criminal records from cannabis, they're, they're trying to pass a bill to expunge their records, but it still hasn't passed. Yeah, I know they've been talking about it for a while, but it seems like it's like a common sense thing to do. But yeah, just keeping the thing on people's record just holds them back in every facet of life or something that really isn't that wrong and a nonviolent too. It's so it's so awful. I mean, I've been reading the new Jim Crow. I think I'm on the like third time reading it because I'm working on some a special for actually my next uh smoking the air episode is going to be a special about how the war on drugs is racist and so I'm reading this book over and over and every time I read it I just get more angry. It's like this is so so awful and it really is um a, a, there's a, the racist element is so it's, it's crazy because when before my before my podcast if you said america is just as racist as it was 50 years ago i would have said you're full of shit i was like this country is not racist at all anymore i mean it, it had people are but the country's not and then you start looking basically you start looking under the rug you go oh shit racism's everywhere we just we're a lot better at hiding it now. And the reason is people that are doing the racist things aren't actually racist and they don't even realize that the system itself is designed in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the whole, yeah. When the system's racist, everyone, I guess is a product is racist, I guess, inside of it. Um, but yeah, people are doing things with good intentions, but yeah, they have racist results. And, um, and yeah, I think one, like, we definitely all live in our sort of own bubbles. And I guess one time where I kind of like got out of it was when I was working in the retail sort of aspect of like a very high volume, low price uh, dispensary. And um, when you work there, you kind of see all different kinds of people and you kind of hear all different kinds of stories. And, um, and yeah, you see, you see a lot of different stuff. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't know where I was going with this story, but, um, but yeah, you you definitely, yeah, you see like a lot of things, like, especially the medical conditions. Like I used to think that uh, medical was just sort of like a way to get to recreational um, but you actually see people with real issues like using um, pot as medicine, which is kind of like was new to me. Yeah. And and you're you're in um, Denver, right? Yeah, I'm in Den- or Denver. Yeah. Gotcha. OK. Is um is the Blue Lives Matter movement? Because you guys are, are more conservative than a lot of people realize. Right. Or as a society, I just don't know if I'm in Florida and right now, like my neighbors have Blue Lives Matter flags flying. I mean, this place, this area is crazy, crazy Trump. Like, yeah, uh, well, Colorado is like very pocketed, like um, there are a lot of very liberal parts, like Denver's pretty liberal, 
Um, like my sort of suburb is fairly liberal, but then you'll have really conservative religious pockets kind of here and there. So there's um, there's a big mix. I would say it's pretty purple overall, but like it depends on where you go. It's one way or the other. Like Boulder is obviously very liberal and Colorado Springs is going to be very conservative. Um, so uh, yeah, it kind of depends on the neighborhood, but um, Colorado yeah, Springs is the, the my, I think that's where my sister lives. She's a Air Force base. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah that's right. Or yeah. Fort Collins and Colorado Springs, I always get them confused, but yeah, I think the Springs has the base by because that's by Pikes Peak. And yeah, yeah, that's Colorado Springs. She's uh, her husband's in the Air Force and they live down there. I haven't visited her out there yet. They've only been there for about a year, but um, but we are going to Denver um, in June. To oh, see- cool. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go see uh, Iron and Wine and Andrew Bird at Red Rocks. Oh, cool. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. I actually look pretty close to Red Rocks. So yeah, I'll have to stop by and maybe have a dab or something for you. Go. Oh, definitely. I'll definitely reach out to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I did a podcast with uh, uh, Riley Caps. He's a, a psychedelic journalist in Denver. So oh, cool, yeah. you get with him too. Nice. But um, yeah, so yeah, the Blue Lives Matter thing is weird to me. Um, it's, well, it's not weird. It makes sense. because I And I understand the sentiment of Blue Lives Matter. And it's like, of course, lives matter. But the movement, the Blue Lives Matter movement is clearly in opposition to Black Lives Matter. And therefore, I can't get behind this. Like, no, the Black Lives Matter is because they're trying to say, hey, we matter also. That's what it is. It's like, just because we're Black doesn't mean we should not matter. And then they go, well, Blue Lives Matter. It's like, well, no one's argued that. I don't think anybody ever thought that cops didn't, their lives didn't matter. Um you know, and the whole thing to me is the drug war is the problem. If if you want, if they weren't having to go to poor neighborhoods to to kick indoors because they can't go to the suburbs, if if all of a sudden the cops were going in harassing suburban kids who also are selling pot, who also are using drugs, if they harass them, all of a sudden the politicians would have like they they lose votes. So they go can't do that. Yeah, those kids also have lawyers and uh, rich parents, and they'll make a headache for the police department, but they can get away with whatever they want from people who can't afford to do that sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. And then there's uh, one of the most infuriating things is the, the plea bargain thing, because they have so many arrests that they they cannot possibly send every person to trial. So they, they make these plea bargains that go, you're looking at this mandatory sentence, which is crazy, but we'll just do probation if you just sign this paper. And probation can lead to a, viol- a violation of probation, which can still put you in prison. Also, because of this, a lot of innocent people take the plea bargain because they're worried that even though they're innocent, they might get found guilty and the sentence is going to be worse. So you have innocent people signing documents, not understanding that when they sign that, even though they're not going to jail, that they're now barred from society. Yeah. And the whole legal system is a big money suck. So like they might even know that full well and they just want to kind of get it done with because like fighting it is going to cost them everything too. That's <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I've been there. I've taken plea deal. I took a, I got caught with a pot plant when I was 18. It was um, about uh, about an inch high. I, I was growing it in my window. Is that North Carolina or Florida? Or? North Carolina. And yeah. I, well, the problem was we, we lived in this trailer right when I turned 18 and my roommate was selling pot. So all the kids we went to high school with would come and buy pot. So it was like this crazy party every night. It was this ridiculous situation. We just super high every day. And one of the kids there told somebody that we were selling pot to rob us. So they came, they came with uh, guns at our house and, um, and it was during the, in the afternoon, I'm sitting there with my sister, the, my roommate that sold pot wasn't even there. So, um, so there was no pot or anything. And all of a sudden this guy kicks in the door with like an AK 47 at my head. It's like, where are the drugs? I was like, I know what you're here for, but they're not here. Like I, I don't, and he hit me in the head. I, I think he got 10 bucks from me. Me and my sister had like $5. That was it each. And they left, but, and then, and I was just stupid. I was young. So I called the cops. I was like, Hey, we just got robbed by gun. And the cops immediately realized, Oh, there's something going on here. So they started watching us. So a few months later, a crazy thing happened. It's kind of a long story, but um, I'll just, uh, basically this kid showed up at our house and wanted to buy some pot and had a gun and he was showing it off to everybody, but it wasn't his gun. It was his boss's gun. And he put it in his car and then he went inside to buy weed and somebody went and stole the gun out of his glove box that he was just showing off to everybody. And the kid's like, my boss, like, you don't know who he is. He's dangerous. I was like, all right, well, you shouldn't have been showing off his gun, man. I don't know who had it. There's 25 people here. And so the boss comes uh, back. My my girlfriend at the time calls me and says, she's crying. She's like, my boss is, uh, or the the kid's boss has me at gunpoint. They're coming to your house and they want their gun back. I'm like, Oh shit. So I, I said, all the drugs out of the house right now. This is going to be a cop situation. We got all the drugs out. Cops get called. They come out. The people that were there with guns 
that were going to get their gun. The cops said, well, they all have permits for the weapons, so they're good. Can we search your house for the stolen gun? I'm like, sure. Boom. They had detectives, like a whole team of people searching their house. I was like, they've been waiting for this moment to search us because they knew we were selling drugs. They didn't find anything because we got everything out, except for that little pot plant I forgot about sitting in the window. So, yeah. I, uh, so I got arrested with two felony charges. And you know, two just a little seedling is what you were kind of showing. Yeah, just a little like one inch high pot plant. Yeah. And I wasn't even, I probably wasn't, I was just something fun, like a little, like, yeah. oh, it, it sprouted. Like I was, I guarantee I would never even grow it in anything. It was just sitting in the window. But yeah, two fel- felony manufacturing, felony um, uh, maintaining and dwelling a drug place or something, and then misdemeanor possession and misdemeanor paraphernalia. But the plea bar, and they did all that because I'm sure that they got their asses chewed out when, when they had this whole case against us that they finally, here's our moment. And they come in, they, we found nothing separate this little plant. Yeah. So, but yeah, I took a plea bargain, which was just drop the felonies and keep the misdemeanors. And in hindsight, it's like, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't like, no, you know, charging me for, I guess though, technically I probably would have lost in the court because I did have a pot plant, you know? Yeah. I guess if you, I don't know if you could, I don't know what the whole legal system's like these days, but if you had a jury trial, I imagine it'd be hard to convince the jury of 12 people that a pot plant, you know, was that big of a deal, but um, yeah, hard to say, I guess. (laughs) It is. And then, you know, I don't know how they do with like the weight of the, the can they weigh the soil? Because, you know, oh, yeah. There, yeah. there's that story in Texas that the kid was, uh, they, they weighed the brownies he made. Oh, gotcha. They were, they were trying to charge him with multiple pounds of cannabis. I think they did charge him. I'm, this was a few years ago or probably 10 years ago. I read about that. But yeah, so you never, I, whatever way they can try to get the charges up. It's crazy how far things have come. Because I remember there was that guy in Canada who was sending seats to the US and he was like public enemy number one. And um, and now it's like not a big deal. And like Tommy Chong was like put in jail for selling a bong online. And um, yeah, and now people are selling CBDs across the lines and it's not like a big deal at all. No, and CBD, bud has been that's been has that been decriminalized federally? Yeah. So uh, that is fully legal. I think Mitch McConnell is behind that because uh, they do a lot of stuff in Kentucky with CBD. Um, but yeah, the whole I have kind of a little bit of a beef with CBD because it's very underregulated compared to THC. So like us with a THC company, we have to go through all this crazy like regulation, arguably over-regulation, because when they first legalized it, it had to have a lot of conditions for it to be legal. So um, everything is tracked from sea to sale. And uh, and yeah, they really like, you know, everything is like under scrutiny and we have like multiple inspections, whereas the hemp farmers, they're just supposed to be making textiles, but they make like essentially CBD like tinctures and stuff like that, that are essentially cannabis products or they're growing pot plants, like not to maturity, so they don't grow the THC and they just have the CBD. So there's like this weird gray market right now with hemp and uh, CBD, uh, which like is very yeah, under-regulated currently and kind That's of crazy. What, what are your feelings about CBD? Because personally, um, I think it's overrated. I, I'm not saying it doesn't help with like seizures and things like that. I think it's been proven to help. But as far as relieving anxiety, it, they've done double blind studies, right? I don't think it does as much as people yeah. think. I've always kind of called it like an all-purpose snake oil. Like people say it does everything. Um, I've heard miraculous things like people saying that like it's gotten rid of tumors and things like that. But I feel like there's so much with the plant that needs to be studied scientifically, like how the different cannabinoids work with each other. Also with terpenes, they say that has a bigger um, impact than we give it credit for, like the terpenes and the cannabinoids and separating those then reformulating them to get desired effects um, could potentially be the next sort of uh, frontier in medicine, uh, possibly. Well, um, and hopefully it does. Um, and I, but I think THC has um, has much more powerful. You know, obviously it's a psychoactive substance. I think THC for anxiety and things like that is going to be proved to be much more effective than CBD. Did you see that organ study recently about how uh, certain cannabinoids might be effective at combating uh, COVID? No. Yeah. So there's this uh, organ. I think Oregon and Oregon State they both did a study, but they want to do more research. But they're having trouble getting the uh, federal approval to do it on cannabis. But um, they're finding early indications that. Um, yeah, certain cannabinoids are effective against COVID. Wow. Well, that would be amazing. Um, why is the federal government like, you know, Biden, I, uh, Kamala Harris said in the vice president debates that they were going to be legalizing or decriminalizing cannabis and you've heard nothing about it now. Yeah. Kamala or Kamala, I have always missed her name. Uh, she's, too. <laughs> she's my favorite candidate because she's very hypocritical on the whole pot sort of thing. Like there's a, uh, when asked about it previously, when she was a DA, she always like laughs about it being legal and uh, she like prosecuted people for weed crimes. So uh, it's kind of frustrating and they definitely play like, like it's very irritating how they like um, Democrats don't seem to take it seriously enough to really want to do anything with it. And whenever they do want to do something with it, they get criticized for 
focusing on pot and like people make Cheech and Chong jokes and then they like kind of retract on everything that they were doing. So it's a very frustrating sort of movement that no one's quite championing right now. And um, yeah, it's just weird how over time, like it's just kind of built up to this, uh, you know, back from like the early 1900s to where we are now. It's, it's just very nutty. <laughs> it is. I, I wonder how much of it has to do with, um, with Big Pharma. Do you think they're still, they're still really trying to stand hard against it? Oh yeah. So yeah, it's capitalism. Um, it's one of the, one of the ways where it doesn't work is when, um, yeah, Big Pharma, they have their market cornered. They don't want competitors and um, that's a potential competitor. And there's also alcohol too. They don't want people at home smoking weed because they're not going to drink as much alcohol or people realizing that they actually have acid reflux and don't want to drink alcohol anymore <laughs> and start smoking pot. Um, just, yeah, a lot of people have their big interests in keeping it illegal that have got bigger and bigger over time. That, yeah. And when you talk about alcohol, because I've always struggled with alcohol my whole life because it's um, it's so much fun and yet it's also so horrible for you and the hangovers and everything. And I've always found how how well I'm doing in my life has to do with which drug I'm using. If I'm smoking more cannabis, I'm doing better. <laughs> and if I'm drinking more, I'm smoking less cannabis because I, I don't when I mix them, it doesn't do well for me. So I'm either doing one or the other. And um, lately it's been mostly just pot and I fucking have a, I, I, and I don't get super baked. I'm not like a super stoner, I, but I wake up, I get a little bit high. I ride my bike to the gym. I'm working out. I'm then I'm working on my podcast and reading my books. I'm just crushing it. But then if I'm, if I'm drinking, I'm just like, nah, I'm not doing it. Shut down, yeah. <laughs> Call it a day. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, and so, and alcohol is such a part of our society. It's so, it's, it's not even um, allowed. It's, it's almost expected. Yeah, it's socializing. It's hard to like hang out with people and you know not drink. It is, and we we quit drinking for a while. Uh, was it twenty twenty? I think, or twenty twenty. We a few times. We'll, we'll, we'll quit for a while. Me and my wife, and we quit for about three months. And we went and hung out with our friends and family. Went to the bars with them, but we just would order. I get like a you know just a cranberry and soda water, and it was no everything was fine. The only difference was at some point in the night, people start getting drunk, and you go, "All right, we'll see you later." Like it's not fun for us anymore. But other than that, it was just totally fine. But people were still a little like, so you're just not drinking. One of my buddies was going to come, vi come visit, but he's like, well, I'll wait till you're drinking again before I come visit. Wouldn't even, isn't going to come down to Florida to visit me unless I'm drinking. Cause he wants to have somebody to drink with. It's such a weird thing. And, but I also, I get it as someone who drinks, if I'm drinking and you're not, I'm be like, well, let me know when you want to have a drink. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one thing oh, just I meant to ask you when we were talking about the CBD, because you talked about CBD for your dogs. And I have a German shepherd and he um, he has seizures and he hasn't had one in a while because I'm a new food. But I looked it up for uh, CBD for my dogs. And, and you so you say you give CBD to your dogs. Yeah. So I went online. I got like an ounce of CBD isolate. Um, I think you could, like if you have a coupon, you get up like 100 bucks for an ounce. And um, I get some, what is it, MCT oil, and then I get make like a little tincture. So I put in the MCT oil, and then I'll measure out some CBD, make whatever milligram dosage you want to do. And then one of my dogs, she has like a bad back. So I give her, um, I give it to her twice a day. And that kind of leads me to not have to give her as much like, uh, like dog ibuprofen or whatever the dog pain medication is. So that seems to be helpful. And then um, one of our former dogs that was alive at the time, I used to give it to her a lot too, but she had since passed away. Um, but mainly for this one, for her back pain um, is what I've been using it for. And then I'm, I haven't really seen it with epilepsy, but I have heard that it is effective. Um, yeah, but like I hear it's effective for all sorts of different things. So yeah, it can't hurt. <laughs> so yeah, just give it to her a couple times a day and see what happens. Gotcha. And also being a, a German shepherd, he's like 120 pounds, 130 pounds. So hip yeah. dysplasia is going to be a problem yeah. as he gets older. So that might be something to, to double do. And one yeah. thing that we started doing that sounds really silly is we started having a dog chiropractor come over <laughs> and it's actually, it has had like noticeable results. Like after she comes, she can actually like jump up on her back legs and give me hugs and um, like jump up and down from the couch without really feeling discomfort, which is, um, I, I would have laughed at myself if I told myself a year ago that I have a dog chiropractor, but <laughs> You know, as a dog owner, I get it. I think that immediately when you said that, I was like, I'm going to look into that. Yeah. You want your dogs to have a happy and healthy life as long as they can. I don't know. Do you have children? Uh, we're trying. Um, no children currently. Just uh, four dogs. <laughs> Got you. Yeah, we have two dogs. We have no children. And, and um, yeah, I think that, that, you know, they're basically they're our family, they're our life. And, you know, you know, do anything for them. Yeah. Um. So uh, what was that? I'll try looking up some of my notes here. Um, 
what did I say? Recreational, spiritual versus habitual. Ah, oh, I made I made these notes this morning, and I'm telling you, I I am super hungover today. No, it is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is. Well, so t- let's talk about your business real fast. You um, yeah. so so you have you sell stuff? Oh, you have to be in Denver, I imagine. You can't sell stuff online right now. Yeah, so it all has to be in state. Um, I guess generally speaking, uh, I started uh, so like. After college, when I got my undergrad, it was like right when the recession hit, or it was 2009. So it was like a year into the recession. So nobody was hiring. So I like found basically like a job where we were sending out foreclosure letters and um, did that for like a year and a half. And then they shut down because the mortgage crisis was kind of rebounding. And then I found that was a good time to go back to grad school. So I got my MBA. And then when I was finishing that up, I kind of, I really was interested in the whole um, pot industry because I was growing pot at home, um, always been kind of really passionate about it. And uh, it seemed like you know, the right time to kind of get into the industry because um, it's always been something that people always kind of laughed at. So I, would, I was kind of doing it kind of secretly. I got a job at a dispensary kind of bud tending part-time, like as I was finishing up school. And then it wasn't too long where they offered me to have like my own sort of store because it was for a big chain. And um, and then I said I wanted to get into the cultivation side because I've been growing at home. I wanted to see how like a commercial grow operated. So worked uh, in the grow for um, like a period of time and then left that to work for uh, this small or this other guy, this high volume well price store I told you about. Um, it was owned by this Russian guy who really had no idea like anything about weed. And uh, he was looking for like someone like me, I guess, to help him kind of run his business. So I was kind of helping him do that for a period of time. And then, um, and then I finally got this licensing opportunity to uh, have my own facility uh, with Adams County, which is like a separate county, like right outside of Denver. So it's basically in Denver, but a tech separate jurisdiction. So uh, different like legal entities like overlooking it. So I uh, was able to set that place up and have been doing that sort of ever since. Um, so we basically produce several brands of hash uh, products like wax shatter, live resin, um, vape products, and um, like cartridges and also um, like bulk distillate, which is just like the, um, you know, the hash like distillate oil which yeah, is usually the base for vape products. Very cool. And um, so, and how hard is it to start? If you if, say, say if I move to Colorado, is it like with alcohol licenses, there's only a certain amount of licenses and you got to be in line for them and stuff like that? So every jurisdiction is different or every county, I should say. So like Denver County, um, it's pretty oversaturated. Then there's all these different setback requirements. Like you have to be like with, you have to be a thousand feet away from like a school, <clears throat> another pot business, um and all these other sort of um certain markers so it's really hard to find a place in denver right now unless if you're buying an existing one but if you wanted to go like down south to pueblo you could really do whatever you wanted um like and out in the boonies like there's different places where you have licensing opportunities but you really want to be close to denver because that's where the biggest market is and um and yeah it's it's very competitive right now too uh so it's like hard for a new brand to come in and we're kind of starting to see the early signs of consolidation with like the bigger companies starting to absorb the mom and pop stores and a lot of the like smaller stores starting to kind of go out of business because they can't compete with like the big chains that are just trying to run them out of town kind of like walmart gotcha gotcha um last time i was in um denver was actually wait when did we go i think it was 2019 but no 2017 when i went i remember on the news, every time the news, the biggest story was always like, how is cannabis legalization affected the city? And there was uh, there was some guy in the street waving like this huge stick and was swinging it at people and they were showing oh, I, them. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? We know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there were some crazy videos of homeless people on 16th Street Mall just like kind of going crazy. But yeah, I think they cleaned it up in the last few years. But yeah, I saw that guy with the PVC pipe yeah. going around. But I think that was like bath salt related or something. <laughs> um but yeah, I don't think that was that was weed related. And people give Denver sort of a hard time because we were the first state, and whenever something goes wrong like that, they'll say that. And um, kind of like profiling, like you said, when you were driving across from uh, Georgia or Florida to uh, to Tennessee, like people look for Colorado plates outside of Colorado, and if they see you driving a Colorado car, they're going to pull you over and kind of you know see if they should search your car, kind of thing, which we've seen a lot, which is really irritating too. Gotcha, <laughs> so yeah. extra careful, you got to vacuum seal everything and. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I mailed I mailed some stuff from, to myself from Colorado, and when I met, after I got back, somebody from Colorado told me they were like, "Oh, they have these sensors through the mails that if they if it smell if you don't put it in a seal proof thing, it won't come through the mail." I was like, "Ah, it's not going to make it." That package showed up at my door, and I smelled it when I walked up. I was like, uh, their, "Their sensors aren't working if they have them." Because they- <laughs> oh yeah, and I've heard that um, like U.S. Postal Service, they have to go through more hurdles to search your packages versus like a UPS or FedEx. 
since they're private companies, they can't open your things. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't like advertise what people should do when sending uh, weed through the mail. But um, but yeah, it, I've heard different things from yeah different sources and have had different experiences. But generally speaking, it goes pretty well. <laughs> it's funny, it reminds me of that Mitch Hedberg joke. He's like, I like the FedEx man because yeah. he's the drug dealer and he doesn't even know it. He yeah. said, he said, I probably shouldn't tell that joke below my cover, but it's like, I feel about talking about this. I'm never mailing myself things ever again. So also pot, now that we have a med, medicinal down here, I don't have to, yeah. but um, no, I, I, uh, I really enjoyed the dispensaries in Colorado. And one, one of my favorite things it was, we were in, uh, I think it was Glenwood Springs and yeah. we went to a dispensary there. And I said, do you have any, cause my wife, just can't handle THC. Like I, even the Delta was the Delta, uh, eight, yeah, I agree, yeah. the, the new legal one that I, I bought and, um, I smoked it or I vaped it or whatever. And it did very little for me. My wife smoked it and was so high. She was uncomfortable. I was like, how is that possible? So when we were in Glenwood Springs, I was like, do you have any really weak cannabis? And they were like, we have this pure love. It's 3%. I was like, that sounds awesome. Let's get that. So and I smoked a whole joint with my wife and I was a little bit high. She was a little bit high. I was like, this is great. This is nice. She, something she could handle. Every other dispensary I've went to, including Florida medicinal shops, I, we're going to Vegas next week. And I called all the dispensaries there to find out the 15% is about the lowest they have. There's just not like, I don't know. What about your, like the place that, you, that you're, you're making? Do you have a low THC one? So testing is kind of a funny thing because like, the, the, you want you want your product to get the highest test results and the testing places know that too so like they will so it, it's kind of a hard indicator because like certain testing like you can send your same product to different places and get different results it's just like how consistent your results are versus their previous results so like a lot of times those numbers are a little I, w I wouldn't go by the numbers just based off of like the economics of the testing places getting business by having high test results is kind of um funny but um yeah but i would say yeah there is yeah it, it, everything's required to be tested um but it is i wouldn't hold too much uh weight to it so so those numbers aren't aren't exact it's uh it's, it's, is it almost just like a, it's a sticker tricky. on the bottle yeah you're looking for trends as long as they're kind of like hitting the same trends you know you're growing it like still okay um but like as, as a consumer like I don't think they're the best indicator of, um, you know, potency or uh, quality or anything like that. Gotcha. I, I do know that the, the pure love 3% bud was extremely weak because I, I yeah. mean, we smoked I mean, it. I'll, I'll be right to a certain degree. Like if it's the same testing place and that tests 3%, another one tests a 20%, then there is probably a difference like that. But um, but that number specifically, I wouldn't yeah put too much weight in that. Gotcha. Well, um, what, what, oh, I was going to ask you something else about... Um, Oh, was, man, my mind is just slipping. But um, about the because uh, I do a lot of work about the opioid crisis, and uh, yeah. which I call the regulation crisis. It's not the opioids; it's the regulation of them. Uh, people's when they when they cut off uh, oxycotton, they're like, "Oh, people are getting overprescribed this, and they're addicted. Cut it off." And then what happened? They all went to fentanyl yeah. and they're dying. But um, in in Colorado, a lot of people do have said that they've been helped. A lot of people have switched to cannabis and it's a hard switch because cannabis isn't going to stop you from going through withdrawals. But if you can get through the, that part of your addiction, cannabis can help you. I, I, do, you do you think people are getting help? Yeah, um, I definitely when I was working in the store, I saw a lot of that, too, like people who have like a lot of pain that were like taking, um, you know, like opioids and then switching to cannabis. And it's um, they're going to be doing one every day. Like you might as well do the one that's easier on your body. Um, and yeah, it doesn't destroy your like liver and kidneys and all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a safer alternative to other things that people could be using to medicate their, their issues. Gotcha. And, but now if, if opioids were legal and again, I have really, you know, different feelings, but as I've talked, I talked to this author, David poses and he, um, he basically wants heroin to be legal. He's like, I should be able to go to a store the way you can, if you can buy enough liquor to kill you, why can't I get heroin? And it's a hundred percent a valid argument. I think that though, when we went after prohibition, I think we went the wrong direction with alcohol. I think it should have not, not been as much of a poor profit, try to sell as much as you can situation The more of like, it's available for adults in the store, you know, something like that. But with heroin, it, it would still definitely be safer if it was legal. I just don't know that it, it's a good choice of, uh, 
the substance to be addicted to. I mean, it's, I've been, I've been addicted to opioids and it's not, it wasn't fun. And I had a free supply, like somebody just gave them to me. So there was no reason I would ever stop except for the fact that it, I wasn't happy, you know? So I don't know what, what, where our country is going to go with opioids, but what's going on in Denver? Is there, um, it, uh, cause I know like, do you have safe injection sites and stuff like that? I'm not positive. Um, I would be surprised if we didn't, but I haven't like seen them. Um, I know like a couple of our patients, they like have had like people close to them die of overdoses and things like that. And I've also heard that like Colorado and Florida are like two of like the four biggest prescribed uh, pharmaceutical states too. Um, and I think like we create the most like uh, trash by stuff like medicine bottles. <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense in Florida. We have a, a lot of elderly here. So, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's yeah, definitely a safer alternative. Um, sorry, I forgot what the initial question was. I kind of, oh, no, it was about, <laughs> about the safe injection sites. I, oh, safe I, injection sites. Yeah. I, I, um, I, cause Florida doesn't have them. Um, and it, it becomes a problem. People don't want to they say, then it's allow you're allowing people to do drugs. It's like, yeah. And now I was talking to somebody from Austin, Texas, um, Claire Zagorski, and she was saying that they have safe injection sites in Austin but they're illegal. So these nurses yeah. are risking their jobs and risking their careers to, to operate these places because they technically, when they're disposing of the syringes, for instance, they're holding paraphernalia they can be arrested for, but they're saving lives. And that's what they've been trained to do. That's why they got in a position of that, 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 you know, the business that they're in is to save lives. And that's just the needle exchange, the safe injection site. Um, safe injection site is, it, it is sort of like a needle exchange because they, they offer you clean needles and basically what they do is they give you, here's a clean needle and then you do your drugs. And if you overdose, they're there with Narcan. They'll be like, all right, we'll stop you from overdosing, which is really like, it's, it's a, it's a lit, like the smallest thing we can do legally to help them. But it's like better solution would be like, get them the drugs that they want and make sure they're not going to be a lethal dose of fentanyl in them. But nope, you got to buy them in the streets. If it's lethal, do it here and we'll give you some Narcan. And then most states like can't even do that. It's illegal. So we're going to legally have nurses like uh, they're breaking the law by trying to save lives. It's just insane. I, yeah. And then everyone doesn't want in their backyard either. Um, the last uh, pod company I was working for, uh, we were having trouble getting licensed in this one part of Denver. And um, there was like a local community giving him a hard time. So he was like threatening to make it a needle exchange site just to kind of like make them want to approve the dispensary to not have the needle people there. And it's just crazy how like people react to that. And, um, and yeah, how everyone wants to help, like everyone, like this, like kind of liberals want, or generally people want to um, like help with everything, but they don't want it like in their community, which is kind of yeah, irritating. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, that's been a big problem with, um, with all kinds of things, but the, with the war on drugs, I mean, it comes down to the, the way they've been propagandized, right? Like everybody's been fed so much misinformation and a lot of it's just through their television programming. They've, they've seen shows. They've seen Law & Order. They know how drug dealers work. It's like, no, you, you don't understand it at all. You don't understand that people are suffering, that people are, are not criminals because they're doing drugs, that people are not going to – if people had legal access to drugs, they wouldn't be breaking into cars and ste like stealing things because the cost of drugs go up. I think it was like 1,000% once they go to the black market. And this was all predicted before the war on drugs. When it, Harry Anslinger outlawed – the substances, the doctors go, if you do this, the, the market's going to move to the black market. The cost is going to go up. People are not going to be able to afford their addictions and it's going to destroy their lives. Doesn't matter. We need people off drugs. They outlawed and everything the doctor said would happen, happened immediately. And now we have what mafia, cartels, gangs, all they're profiting. And then you have the DEA, which is basically they need the drug war for them to exist. Yeah. And they need drugs not to be solved. They need it to keep being on the streets. So we've uh, people just would just step back and just look at what we're doing and go, oh, we fucked up. This is horrible. Let's stop doing yeah. this. And that's also kind of circling back to cryptocurrency, kind of an argument for it too. Like if everyone's using crypto, no one has cash on site and no one's robbing people for their money. Um, it would just really be for the the drugs, I guess. But um, but yeah, that's just another way to kind of take the violence out of the sort of the system. I, I could see that. And um I need to look into some crypto. I've, I, like I say, I, I, the environmental thing bothered me, but then the more I thought there's about also, it. There's also cryptos you can get into that are perfectly fine for the environment. Like check out Cardano, ADA, um, like they're all proof of stake. And um, yeah, people are really bullish on them too. And they, uh, and they basically the founder of that coin uh, helped found Ethereum, if you know Ethereum at all. 
and he made a new coin that he wanted to do like if they had knew everything they known then to kind of make it for this one so they started off as proof of stake rather than starting a proof of work and then try to convert later to proof of stake so um, it seems like it's got a good sort of system in place and it uses hardly any ener energy and the fees are pretty low too <laughs> that's that's awesome and yeah you know and i agree with you i, I think that i was just uh i got scared by the establishment telling me it's the environment and you go oh I the environment. five years ago too um like i was thinking like if i bought bitcoin instead of starting this weed business i would have so much more money <laughs> <laughs> I, oh yeah there was definitely a time one of my friends said he had he had ten dollars in bitcoin years ago when it was nothing and then one day he's like, ah, this is stupid. He took his $10 out. He's like, I would have been worth $100 million. Um, he's like, every day, he's like, every day I think about that. Did I need that $10 back? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, well, I um, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I, I, uh, I've enjoyed talking with you. And um, I'll be in Denver in June. So I'm definitely going to reach out to you then. Yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah thanks, thanks yeah. for having me. And one thing that I really like hearing about your pod on your podcast is like prison and jail stories. Like I always find those like really fascinating. Uh, it's just like this whole like its own eco ecosystem where like there's like their own sort of political structures and um, like the whole currency thing with the mackerel and the bag and things like that. Um, I think that's all just really fascinating. I always love hearing those stories. Yeah, you know, and that's I'm glad you pointed that out um, because I need to I need to reach out to more people because to tell the whole story, it's one thing to get you know. Uh, people that are in the business of cannabis or in the business of addiction, but people that have been hurt by the system also that that's a huge part of the story that I need, I need to get yeah. more into. Yeah. And especially like I haven't really been affected by that part. So it's kind of like interesting seeing the other side and because I've been profiting off of the drug war because like it being illegal has caused me to be in business because if like it wasn't in this weird gray market, um, like it would be like big pharmaceutical companies or big alcohol companies dominating the space and um, not like everyday people like me. <laughs> Well, that's, that's a, I guess, a really good side of it. Something to think about. I like that. Awesome, man. Well, yeah. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. This, this yeah, has been great. Well, yeah. I'm going to reach out to you in June for sure. Well, sounds good. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. All right. Peace, Nicks. If you enjoy what we're doing, go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at the Peace on Drugs Podcast. Go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com slash subscribe to subscribe to our newsletter. It was so much fun talking to Kevin. Tune in next week. Thank you so much for listening and be a part of this with me. Peace out.